Hi everyone, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host of the Jackson Hole Connection. Welcome to episode number three. Thank you for tuning in and downloading this episode. If you have not already subscribed, please do so. Help me reach my goal of being listed in iTunes new and noteworthy by giving this podcast a rating and a review. You may submit feedback or request to be on the show through email. Connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. My guest today on the Jackson Hole Connection is Ed Brenniger. Ed is the founder of the Circle of Impact Leadership, a published author, father, ordained Presbyterian minister, world traveler, road warrior, and inspiring friend. Ed will share with us how he connected to Jackson Hole, some great insights which he has learned during his life, which we can all apply to our lives. But before we begin, I have a quick word from one of our sponsors. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Ed, thank you for being here today. I'm glad to be here. Always glad to be with you. So you are just a few days into the process of releasing your first book. Congratulations on being a published author. Yay. How does this feel? <laughs> it's outstanding. It's it's a lot of work, but it's a it's a great joy and I'm really pleased. I'm so excited that we can talk a little bit about your book. But before we get into that aspect, let's reverse just a touch and tell folks how you are connected to this place that everybody calls Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and what brought you here. Well, I've heard people say about different places where they've moved to that I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. Well, I kind of feel that way about Jackson Hole. I grew up in North Carolina. I lived in Massachusetts and in Oklahoma and Georgia and West Virginia. Lived all over. But there was this thing that happened to me the first time I drove into the valley over the Togarty Pass in 1977. And I thought, oh my goodness, look at those mountains. And they have been, they have captured me ever since. I, every time I drive north out of town, out of the town of Jackson, up into Jackson Hole, the valley, particularly when I'm headed to the airport, I look at those mountains and I say, wow, God has done something special there. So that's where it all began for me a long time ago, and it still remains to be this amazing, amazing experience. It's quite a special place when you travel out of here and then come back home and get to see the views, the vistas that we have. I love walking out the door of the airplane, being hit by that nice, cool, crisp air, and seeing those mountains there. I know I'm home. And don't forget the mix of the diesel engine from the jet engine. <laughs> yeah. And, and the generators. But yeah. but I agree. The the view that we get out of that is is spectacular. Now that you have set some roots here in Jackson Hole, what is your special place here in this valley? Well, I've been here for three and a half years and, and in some respects I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out, which is what is my special place. Because uh, I, I love all of it and I love the people that are here and there's a real pretty diverse mixture of people here. 
So I, and in some sense, I'm still trying to find my place here. Uh, but when I moved here, my goal, I had a goal, you know, goal-oriented, which was I wanted to be in Yellowstone National Park every week of the year. And I have absolutely, totally failed <laughs> at that goal. But someday, I'm going to maybe get a third of the way to that. You know that Yellowstone is oh so close, and that it's not very far away. It's good hour and a half, two hour drive, beautiful drive. But at least you can get there whenever, whenever you find that time for it. What inspired you to write the your book? I I was tired of seeing businesses and organizations where the people were unhappy, they were unproductive. They were not meeting the potential that they had. And I saw it as essentially a problem of both leadership, how they were led, and how the businesses were structured. Because what I I saw in those people, and I was a consultant uh, in North Carolina for, for over 20 years, and what I found was that the people that work in businesses and in organizations have a tremendous amount of talent that is never tapped into. And I, I needed to understand why. And the idea that I kept running into is that there was this hierarchy that exists in every organization where you have the person at the top of the, the pyramid, and they are the leader, and everyone else is supposed to follow. And I had worked in an organization where, where there was a board. It was a nonprofit organization. And the the head of the organization had been the head of it for 33 years, and the board was unable to make deliberative decisions because the senior executive of the of the organization made all the decisions, and the board just rubber-stamped them. And when he retired and went away, they went into chaos because they had no experience in making decisions together. So I saw that as a as an inherent flaw in the way we view leadership, which is that it, that it is a title and a role in an organization. And the further I pursued the idea of there being something else, what I discovered is that leadership is something that's very personal, and it is a measurement of the function of each of our lives. So I have a, a different definition than, it's, than, than it is a title or a role. I see that all leadership begins with personal initiative to create impact that makes a difference that matters. And that means that everyone in a business, everyone in a community can take personal initiative and make a difference that matters. And all they need is the freedom, maybe even the permission to take that first step of stepping out of whatever fear or doubt or insecurity or sense of confinement that they feel, they feel it and put that aside and say, what I want to do, the difference that I want to make is more important than the fear I feel of making a fool of myself by taking initiative. And if you create that environment where people can take personal initiative, then it changes everything. And you have moved from being what I call a leadership-starved company to a leader-rich culture. Wow. That bag is full of a lot of good nuggets there. 
I'm speechless on that. <laughs> um, that um, but you uh, but you understand this because you you're trying to be that kind of organizational leader in your business where you're equipping your people to do the very best work that they can do out of their own desire to to do really good work. I I am indeed because my organization will only be as good as the people who are in there and them being the the leaders which they can be. Now going back to some of the items that you stated there and I think in today's society a lot of people think that everything is microwaved and happens immediately. What is the progression that people could expect when applying some of the uh, some of the skills that you mentioned in your book to be uh, the type of leader that you're talking about? Is it overnight? Is it a lifelong process? How can how can you? Yes, <laughs> I mean <laughs> it is. It can happen in the next moment, but it is a lifelong process of of learning how to take leadership initiative. So it, it, we don't learn everything at once, but I think the point, and you and I have already talked about this at some point, this isn't really about trying to be somebody, someone important, someone good enough, or someone who becomes a star. This is just about being yourself and doing what your set of inner desires or values say this is important to do. And it may be nothing more than giving a kind word to someone in your office who obviously is kind of upset at that moment and say, hey, hang in there. Something like that, something small, something simple, something really practical is the place you start. But if you were to take that and live that out every day, then you're going to spend the rest of your life learning how to do that. Indeed. And I I think that this could be applied down to the to the smallest level that somebody who is a counter worker at McDonald's or the person who is picking up trash on the street, um, that person in life has value and they can be a leader in the community and the lives that they uh, impact every day in their own way because they find who they are, not who somebody else wants them to be. You know, what I have found in being an organizational consultant and talking with hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years, is that people see things, and they see things and yet oftentimes never say anything. So if you're the CEO of a company or executive director of a company or an organization, what you need to know is that your people are watching and they see things. When you go to them and say, what are you seeing? And you're, you're asking that in a way that says, I trust you. I'm not going to um, come down on you if you say something I don't want to hear. If you can build trust with them, then they're going to perform in a way that is far beyond what you can imagine. So that, I think that's one of the keys. It, it, there's a relational aspect to this that is really important and that most of the good development that happens in businesses really has to happen through the relationships that uh, management and workers have with one another. Trust. Trust. It's a backbone of so many re- relationships. And as I say, it's hard to build and easy to squander. Hard to build, easy to squander. 
Trust. Yeah, I would say in in many aspects of the world or many different segments during the time of history and in current time that depending on where you are in that time period and how you receive your information, trust has probably been either a hallmark item or topic, or it has been probably a stigmatism for um, the way organizations and countries have been led. And then when you see that that trust is broken down, then the organization or the country, something fails. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable that it will fail. And historically, I think you you can certainly see that. Yeah, I think that a lot of that happens because of the stress that a lot of organizational leaders feel. Stress of numbers, stress of making the right decisions, stress of dealing with all the people that either walk through the door or people that they have employed who may not be the right person. There's all kinds of stresses, pressures, problems. I mean, being an organizational leader is is no uh, walk in the park, and it's really hard. And if you're not really up to the task of being in that kind of pressure cooker, then it gets reflected back on your people, and they and they begin to realize this guy or this woman I can't really trust because I don't think they. They're handling the stress of what's going on in the business very well. And so one of the ways to deal with that is to to admit it. Yeah, I'm under a lot of stress. And to say that to your people and say, listen, I'm going to deal with this the best I can, but I also need you to do your best so that I don't have to worry about you, that I can trust you and, and we can get through this together. And it'll be better if we all do this together. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Some big words here today. They're only big words because we're they're relational words. They're words about who we are as people mm-hmm. in context of relationships with people. And in business, we've been told for for generations that this is not about relationship. This is about numbers. It's about processes. It's about production. And the reality is that the businesses that fail are the ones where, in many respects, the relationships have failed. Mm-hmm. And the ones that have succeeded are the ones where there is a level of trust there that enables them to get through the hard times together. That's so true. I think that what you are bringing to the table is going to impact people in ways that probably you anticipate. But I think over time you will see or somebody will see that it's going to impact people in in greater aspects that have yet to be discovered because um, you, you brought a special tool to the to the world and and I hope that everybody can appreciate it and has has the opportunity to read it. So well, thank you very yeah. much. Um, the book, by the way, we we haven't given the name of the book. Did you? Should yeah. you name it? <laughs> yeah, I think we ought to name the book. <laughs> All right, give us the name. It is Circle of Impact: Taking Personal Initiative to Ignite Change. It is available on Amazon.com. It's published under uh, Post Hill Press, and I guarantee you that you'll like it because it's going to say some things that you are going to say, you know, I've been thinking that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I knew that. You know, it's a validation and an affirmation of what a lot of people have been telling me. This isn't just cooked up out of my own head. This is really coming from my conversations with people 
because that's what really matters to me. I'm just I'm just a very much a people person, and I talk with everyone I meet. It's a it's an amazing thing to learn what you need to learn from people who innocently just say, "Well, this is what I think." They somehow trust you in the moment, and they say something. I said, "I've learned something from that. I'm going to write that down." And then that gets translated into some other ideas because it gets kind of mashed together with what other people say, and all of a sudden there's some wisdom that comes. And I'm just the vehicle for bringing that wisdom to the world, but it's really the wisdom of people that I've been talking to for for 40 years, 50 years. I would say not only are you the vehicle for it, but you help challenge, you ask the right questions. You're, you're a great listener, and you challenge people with questions that get them to think and ensure that people answer those questions so they can really find what their true north is. Well, I don't want, I'm not challenging them to embarrass them or humiliate them or, or put them down. I'm really challenging them because I see something in them. It's, it's, one of my, it's one of my gifts, I would say, is that I can see the giftedness of people, and I want them to see that. I was told once, and it's, you know, it's just a, it was a beautiful thing, and I share it because it, it has meant a lot to me um, that it was told me. You know, but I was told by someone many years ago that you believe in us so that we can believe in ourselves. And I think that's exactly right. You know, it's, it's, it's thrilling to see someone change their life by saying, I need to go do this. And let, and let, me, let me tell you a story about one person. Please. I had a virtual assistant named Natalie who came to work for me 15 months ago or so. And she was fantastic. She handled my email. She handled my scheduling. She handled my filing. She handled my travel schedule. She, she was fantastic. And I went off on a month-long trip, and I gave her the book to read. It had not been published. It was still in uh, manuscript form. I said, while I'm gone, I want you to read this. I want you to tell me what you think when we come back. Came back, and it took us about six weeks after our return at holidays, things like that. And we, and we uh, sat down over on, the, on Zoom, on the phone, and, um, and she sa- I said, so what do you think? She says, I think I'm in the wrong business. I think I need to quit you, and I'm going to go do work with women. And, and that afternoon, I got the letter of the email saying that she had resigned and that she was jumping off from what she was, had been doing and was starting something brand new. And, and since then, so that was several months ago. I mean, that was at the beginning of this year. Since then, she and her husband have taken another step in the direction of doing something which they believe will make a difference that matters. So they are competitive ballroom dancers, and she is now in the midst of writing a book called Ballroom Marriage. And it's about how marriages and ballroom dancing kind of reflect on one another and she has an agent and and she is going to have her manuscript in in a, in a matter of weeks and it's and it all bec- it was all because she read the book and realized that my life has more to be done than what I was doing <laughs> it was just so cool and I felt so honored by that and that's why I do it that's, that's so why. moving that's such a spectacular story to hear that just right off the bat, somebody reading your manuscript could realize that they needed to make a change. Now, not everybody is going to be able to shift gears as quickly and easily as, as the way as she did. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It really is. 
but don't look at this from where I've read the book. Don't look at making change or feel as though that being a leadership is something that you have to bite off all at once. There's stages and take each stage one by one. And when you take it little bit by little bit, one by one, then you can accomplish whatever you want. In a sense, the last thing you need is a vision because visions tend to be really big and put us in a position of a lot of anxiety about, well, how am I going to get there? How am I going to pull this off? When what we really need to do is just focus on what is it that I can do right now? What difference can I make in the next two minutes, next hour, the next week? Sounds like me telling my son to put on his shoes in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lewis, put down the book. Put on your shoes. But just put on your shoes. Put on your shoes. (laughs) That's all we need to focus on at this moment in time is shoes. Well, this is exactly right. And this became really clear in a conversation I had with a waitress in a restaurant in St. Louis a few days ago. It was with my younger son, Stuart. We were sitting there, and we were talking about the book, and and the waitress was asking about it. and, And then she said, you know, it sounds like, you're, you're telling us that we don't really have to become something, that we just really just need to be the person that we already are. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. Just be the person you already are and do the things which matter to you that make a difference that matters. And then your life will be transformed. If you want it transformed, if, other, if you don't, then it just you get just to do things that make a difference and you can find satisfaction from that. I think we get a, I think we get pressured to try to make things bigger and more expansive and more dramatic, so much more at stake because it feels like we're important because of that. But it also overwhelms people with a sense of how can I do this? And I feel alone. Or in some cases what I have found, people feel like well, this is going to alienate me from my family or from my friends or from my coworkers. It's like when a a person who's a coworker becomes their manager. It becomes a difficult relationship. And so, because the manager has to change how they perceive her, she perceives herself in relationship to the staff that she is now responsible for. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being just one of the one of the members of the office office pool in the office doing what you can do to make a difference that matters and then joining with others who are doing that in a way so that you share that experience together. So it's not just that this is a personal thing where I'm taking personal initiative to make a difference that matters. It's also a social thing where we decide, yeah, let's, let's do this together. Let's go raise some money for those kids that that lost their dad in the fire, you know, last week, or something where together you decide we're going to do something together. And then that that experience of service creates a bond, which also creates that trust that's really important. Thank you. Thank you. For your vision, because you said the last thing that you have to do is write a vision. My guess is that you have a vision. What is your vision that you would like to see from writing this book? Well, where I started, I mean, decades ago, was simply to help leaders lead their organizations better 
so that it would strengthen families and local communities. That was where I began when I started my consulting practice. And it got reduced down to a a little uh, tagline, which was inspiring leadership initiative. And so, and that's what I did. I, I started doing one project after another. It was, and I practiced personal initiative to talk people into paying me to come in and work with them. And it was a beautiful experience. And um, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I learned so much and I became so grateful for the opportunities that I was given. But when I moved to Jackson, I started all over. And I started this new business, Circle of Impact Leadership, and it didn't come immediately, but eventually I realized that my vision is to move people to take personal initiative to create impact that makes a difference that matters. But I felt like I needed some kind of tangible number, a number which said, I'm really making a difference that is far beyond anything I can do on my own. It's in Jim Collins's language, this is a big, hairy, audacious goal. So I decided that I wanted to move 1% of the world's population to take personal initiative to make a difference that matters in their local communities. We're talking roughly 75 million people. It's a ridiculous goal, but ridiculous goals are the ones that catalyze people into wanting to join in and be a part of that. So imagine 10 years from now, we look back and say, we actually made this goal. We actually changed the world by bringing people out of the woodwork who were not doing things and are now doing great service to their local communities. And it would mean that local communities are now strong and have changed and they have helped people flee poverty and illiteracy and unhealthy life practices. And all of a sudden, these are places of real strength and real health. And then that gets translated into nations and into a global society of which is strong. It starts at the bottom of the grassroots and grows from there. And that's what, that's what I see. So that's my goal, 1% of the world's population. How will you measure your impact to obtain your goal of influencing, impacting 1% of the world's population? I have no idea. Okay. I measure it one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And it's not a goal which requires some kind of final analysis of whether it's been reached. That's a technical goal. Mine is an aspirational goal which says, this is where I'm going. And it allows me not to limit myself. Because I think oftentimes when we limit ourselves, well, we just want to make uh, do 5% better this year or something like that, then we are willing to let things slide that we shouldn't. I'm glad that you said how your goal is not so much measurable, but more something that you want to obtain in, in a theory, in not, not necessarily a theory, but um, something to see how you can impact. Because that's a big goal. Like you said, it's a big, hot, hairy, audacious goal, but it's not preventing you from setting that goal. Well, you should know that there have been people that you know who have suggested that I should 10x that goal to $750 million. And because their theory is that 
the amount of effort it takes to do 1x is the same amount it takes to do 10x. I accept that. <laughs> but I'm still just going to take 1%. This is how the, the vision, my vision, affects me. Mm-hmm. And I think this is how I think it affects those that are listening. But you can always change your goal. You can add, you can oh, change it. Uh, yes. Whenever but, you want. But what, what it does to me is it helps me to look for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for people who are making a difference that matters. I want to know who these people are. I want to talk to them. I want to get their story. I want to be encouraged. I want to be inspired by them. Because when I'm inspired by them, it's going to change me in talking about with the next person that I meet that I'm going to encourage them to go do this because that person did this. So I'm just a, I'm just a catalyst or a vehicle. I'm a, I'm a, a conduit for one person's story to impact another person's story. And, I, and the fact that I have some tools that can help people achieve their impact in the world makes it all better. Do you have a way that, I'm sure you have a way people can reach out to you and share their stories, which I'd love for you to tell us all, but how are you gonna document those? How will be people be able to read other people's stories? I'm still working on that, but I think the simple way is to send me an email. Ed at edbrenegar.com. It's my email address. You send me your story, and I'll find a way to post it. Or I'll find a way to have a conversation with you so we can find a way for you to tell your story because that's really what you need to do because you have your own audience. You have your own circle of friends. You're, I call it a network of relationships. You have your own network of relationships where you need to be telling your story. You probably are on social media. You're on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, Instagram. You've you got all these tools there. So tell your story. Take some pictures. Post some pictures of the difference that you're making. This is not about your ego. This is not about you celebrating your own moral goodness. This is about celebrating something that took place that helped someone else. And, and this is how I, I view this, and this is what I think is the, the promise of you telling your story. And maybe we'll figure out a way for you to tell the story through what I'm doing. Uh, I'll tell your story. Maybe we'll do some documentary videos, videos at some point in time. All of these are kind of in a uh, developmental stage. What I envision happening is if you take initiative in your local community to change something. Here's an example. I would encourage, if you're on Facebook, that you go to Mike Rose Returning the Favor page and watch the videos that he has produced where there are people who, I call them circle of impact leaders, who have taken personal initiative to start something in their local community. One of those was a a young woman, 21-year-old woman in Greenville, South Carolina, who would show up at a laundromat every Wednesday afternoon at 5 o'clock to wash the clothes of homeless people. No one was asking her to go do that. It was not part of some school program or government program or nonprofit program. She did it out of the goodness of her heart. And Micro found out about it. They worked out an arrangement where she was given a mobile laundromat so that she could go wherever she could to find the homeless and wash their clothes. That's spectacular. Oh, it's, it's great. So those are the kinds of stories that Mike Rowe is telling are the same kinds of stories that I want to I wanna feature. So if, if you're telling your story on social media, then someone in Tokyo or in Frankfurt or in Johannesburg 
or in Quito may be watching and see your story and say, you know, we could do that here. Why don't we do that here? So that's the way I think good news and good stories spread. It inspires people to believe that they can do it too. So your action could be a belief in yourself that other people say, I need to believe in myself that I can go do that same thing. So that's the kind of stirring the pot that I see happening through this, that there will be people who decide to change their life because they there is some issue that has become so important to them, they have to act on it. But if they're going to act on it, they really need to act on it in a very positive and constructive way because then other people want to join them and all of a sudden move, movements start. Let's go back to what you just said there. Act in a positive way. That's so important, I think, for people to realize what and to have a clear understanding of what you're saying. It's about being positive. This is not spreading some sort of message to go create evil, that you can be a leader and impact people's lives and be evil or, or mean, but we can be leaders in a positive way. And kindness is so so needed in, in our world. It's always been needed, um, but I feel as though that with social media, you, maybe you can tie in your, your philosophy to this, but social media talks so much about, uh, has so much chatter about what other people are doing and you see where people ate dinner or, or what they're doing out and about. To, it's the glitz and the glamour, but you're talking about bringing things down to really the core essence of life. Well, I want to take this one step further. Okay. We all have a choice when confronted with an issue. We can treat it negatively or positively. We can treat it as a issue where we are accusing people and criticizing people, maybe even seeking to destroy people because of something that has taken place. Or we can choose to see how we can act in a positive way to change that circumstance. And it's a choice that we make. And we each individually have that responsibility and we each individually have that power. And to deny that power really is to, is to say, I don't have anything to offer, and I don't believe that at all. My life, in many ways, is the product of the influence of people who many people would say are not, not essential to this world. They're, they're forgotten people. They're not known. They have no name, no presence, no standing in the world. And yet, things that they've said, here's an example. This goes way back to when I was a really young guy out of college, and I got asked by an organization that worked with uh, prisoners in the federal prison system. They were doing kind of training to help them prepare for life after prison, and it was, it was a pretty substantial program. And I was living in North Carolina at that time. I was asked to drive two federal prisoners from the federal penitentiary in Butler, North Carolina, to Washington, D.C. for a two-week conference that they, they would go to, through this training program. So um, I picked them up, 
One was a, uh, a truck farmer from eastern North Carolina who had been convicted of, of um, being a part of a drug gang. And the other guy was a, an insurance agent who was convicted of mail fraud. So here are these two criminals, both federal, sen- federal sentences, living in a federal penitentiary, who were released into my care. I drove them to Washington in my car. And the conversations were transformative for me because here are these men who everyone would think were normal guys just like you and me, but had done something wrong that put them in prison. And I dropped them off and I spent the night and I was prepared to drive back down to North Carolina because I was going to come back in two weeks to pick them up. And they walked me to the door and they said, we would like you to stay so that we can care for you. And I didn't expect that to hear that from two federal prisoners, but they cared about me. And I, it wasn't possible for me to stay, but it, it struck me and it, it had an impact upon me which said, don't judge a book by its cover, even don't judge a book by its behavior. Look deeply into what is possible for anyone that you know to do something that is good and can make a difference that matters. And my life was changed in that moment because I realized that if I only looked at people from what other people thought of them, then I would, I would just be acting in a very prejudicial way and I would, never, I would never have the experience of life that I've had. And so I don't, I don't sit in judgment of people. I just sit and try to listen and try to understand who are they and how can I encourage them to, to practice leadership initiative. Wow. <laughs> um, wow is right. Yeah. <clears throat> and I haven't thought yeah. about those two guys in years, but just talking with you right now, just mm-hmm. it brought back that memory. And I had never had anyone talk to me that way before. And here, here I was, young guy, probably 23, what do, you, what do you think they meant by saying, we'd like for you to stay with us so we could care for you? I think that they felt like they had something to offer to me as a young man. Mm-hmm. They wanted to teach me some, some of the lessons that they had learned the hard way and, and to encourage me as a person that had made some little sacrifice to take time out of his life to drive them to, to Washington, D.C., that's spectacular. That's we can learn from just anybody who's out there on the street. We can learn from anybody, mm-hmm. and if we look at people in that way, everyone we meet on the street is having the potential to make a difference in the community, in their in their world, to their family or to their workplace. That may be all that is needed for them to become that if they are not already that. So some of these ideas which are in your book and ideas that we have been talking about today, do you release those in your, your video blog and your newsletter that comes out? I talk about all these things all the time. I mean, this is, this is um, meat and potatoes for me. Okay. And how often does your blog newsletter come out? That I have a monthly newsletter that comes out. I do a blog post a week and I do a video a month, but uh, I'm in the process of uh, rethinking some of that, uh, doing some more, more video than writing, uh, because I, I, like the, I like the personal aspect of the video where I can talk directly to people. It's like, a, like I'm talking with you. Mm-hmm. And 
and you can do a video pretty quickly. A blog post takes a while to get the language right and get the punctuation right. And, <laughs> and self-editing is not a very easy task for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I'm really open to um, actually doing videos in conversation with people. Uh, you know, I'm willing to do anything. I'm really interested in how I engage with people because I want to. I want to hear from them. I want to talk with them, and. If that means I get to talk with 75 million people who have changed their their life so that they can change their community, hey, I'm all for that. What a privilege. What a privilege that would be for me to be able to have that kind of opportunity to talk to people every day who are doing things that are making a difference. Now that you have your book, which is published and available on Amazon or out of the backpack that you'll be carrying <laughs> from now on, <laughs> full of books. That's right. <laughs> Are you available for speaker series if people want to have you travel to where they are? I'm glad to come speak, and we'll talk about these things, and and we'll talk about how we can build leader-rich companies or organizations or communities. If you were to go to a company and speak, is it going to be you standing up for an hour, a few hours speaking, or is this an interactive type of event? Depends on what they want. Okay. I like the interaction because I like dealing with, with real issues that people have and where I can apply my, my leadership model called the circle of impact. It's a problem-solving methodology. And unless you take an issue and you, if you can't define an issue as a problem, then you're probably not going to find a solution to it. So, yeah, I like, I like talking to people. But also, I don't mind standing up and talking about these things in, an, in a way that inspires people to want to uh, change. Now, one of the things that, one of the other things I do is I have a program called Impact Day. And this is a pretty intensive six, seven hour day where I take a person or a team through a set of questions. And we, we have a starting point that they have identified which says, this is the issue or this is the question or this is the situation or this is the opportunity that's before us and we need to get really clear about what this means and how we're going to proceed. So I take them through the questions and I don't allow them to get off easy with the answers because what I want is to have a real sense of what is at stake and then we create a plan, an execution plan for how they're going to act upon what they've learned in that day. Uh, it can be done in a shorter version, but typically the best way to do it is in a is in a whole day, and and we can do that on short notice. So, and it means either you come to me here in Jackson Hole, or I go to you wherever you are. It's it's a it's a face to face thing, and if you're at that transition point in your life or in your company's life where you need to make some decisions then this is the way to do it because you'll be you'll come out with some great clarity and if it's a team you'll come out with a a basis for trust and then you'll have a plan for how you're going to create or recreate the structure that you need to have the impact that you want to have i would recommend people come out to jackson <laughs> i would recommend that too uh this is a place jackson holds a place where if when working with somebody such as yourself, I feel that they would find a level of inspiration, which is probably not found in most other places. Now, I'm sure the 
tools, the workshop, your experience, what, how you lead them through the process um, will work anywhere. But being here in Jackson Hole gives people an opportunity to um, have some really amazing reflection in some of the most spectacular scenery in the world. And I, and I think it's important, having been a consultant for 20-plus years, a lot of people hired me thinking what they were paying me was a cost to doing business. That's the wrong attitude towards any problem-solving, any developmental process. When you pay someone like me or like anyone who does this kind of work, you're investing in change, and you want the change to make a difference that matters because it's going to lead you to the place that you really want to be as a person or as a company. So it has to be really clear at the outset, and you have to be ready for that And when you are, you're going to be so happy because you're going to find yourself in the place that all these feelings of anxiety that you've been holding back will be released and let go and go away because all of a sudden you figure out, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing and this is where we're going and this is how we're going to see its impact. Thank you for for inspiring and being able to be here today and, and share this wisdom. Stefan, you're, you're, <laughs> you're a great man and one of those people in Jackson that I have the highest admiration for. So I know this is a kind of a mutual admiration society here, but it's only because we've actually been that way to each other. And I'm, I'm grateful for your friendship. Um, likewise, thank you, Ed. And for people who are still listening today, tell them again how they can reach out to you. Okay, here, here's how you can find me. First of all, I have a website. It is edbreniger.com, and it's spelled E-D-B-R-E-N-E-G-A-R.com. Then my email address, and you email me, and I will respond. Just keep it short so that it's succinct and it's clear as to what you're asking of me. My email address is Ed at edbreniger.com. Ed at E-D-B-R-E-N-E-G-A-R.com. I hope that you have learned a little bit about Jackson Hole, about why people are connected to Jackson Hole. And remember to go to the jacksonholeconnection.com. You can see some show notes and more information about Ed's website and more about who Ed Brenniger is. Thank you, Ed. Have a great Thank day. Thank you.